Hello and welcome back to another episode of What Gets Captured on Film. This is episode 20 and I am your host, Dylan Paulson. If you're new here, this is a show all about movie news, entertainment news. Each week we'll give you the biggest headlines in the movie industry and I'll give you my thoughts and opinions about them. And I'll also um, give my opinions about whatever I've been watching in the past week. Um, I have a have a good one for you this week. I think I'm going to name the episode after it, so you probably already know what I'm going to talk about. So um, skip ahead a few minutes if you want to hear about that. But, you know, small little teaser for you. So this episode is going to cover the news, everything from February 9th through February 15th. It will go live on February 16th, as all podcasts do as all of my podcasts do, Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and it will be on YouTube at noon. Had some good, had a good spike in the YouTube views uh, for episode 15 over the past two weeks. It's been, uh, it's been good, or not episode 15, episode 18, the one where I talk about Coda and the Tender Bar. That was a good, had a, had a huge, pretty, pretty substantial spike on YouTube, so that was nice. Um, so, um, so yeah, anyways, let's uh, get into what we do, the news. So, I like to end every show with uh, what movies are coming out in, what movies are coming out to theaters. So, I like to start every show with what movies, how, how the movies that are in theaters did. The box office numbers, if you will. So, number one, we have a new number one up here. Number one, Death on the Nile. And the numbers that I'm going to read here, the gross numbers are all domestic, all domestic United States numbers. So Death on the Nile did uh, 12.9, about about $12.9 million gross, which is great. Number one movie. Number two movie, Jackass Forever, uh, $8 million, which is great for that movie. The total gross for Jackass Forever is about $37.5 million. It's great. Great movie. Great, you know, post-pandemic, pandemic era movie, Jackass Forever, you know, good for them. Good for them. Big, big hit. Number three, Marry Me. Everyone thought this movie was going to bomb. I myself also thought it was going to bomb. I thought it looked totally uninteresting. Got $8 million domestically. Number four, Spider-Man No Way Home still up with $7.5 million. And number five, Blacklight, $3.5 million. I actually, this movie doesn't even sound familiar to me. Uh, Travis Brock, government agent, finds us up in the crosshairs of the SBI. Okay, interesting. Yep, well, that's that. What is that? Uh, Liam, it's a Liam Neeson movie. Okay, number five, and then, um, and then, yeah, that's it. Uh, number nine, or a couple of interesting things as we work our way down the list. Number six, Sing Two. Number seven, Scream. Number eight, Moonfall. Number nine, Licorice Pizza. Number ten, The Beatles Get Back, which was in uh, 179 theaters. So yeah, pretty mod modest box office um, weekend. You know, or partway through February. There's usually not a lot huge that's coming out. Jackass, Death on the Nile, pretty pretty, uh, pretty much the biggest stuff you're going to see there. So now what I'd like to do is get into uh, Nielsen, which does the uh, ratings, um, you know, how, how a TV show, how a movie rated on cable. They used to do cable. They still do cable. Now they have uh, streaming. So I'm going to read out the top streaming service uh, movies from the week of January 10th through January 16th. As always, Nielsen is a little bit delayed. So number one, we have Disney's Encanto. Number two, we have um, Hotel Transylvania, Transfermania. I think that's the third movie on Amazon. 
Number three, we have uh, Brazen on Netflix. Number four, we have Don't Look Up on Netflix. Number five, we have The Colony on Netflix. Number six, we have Moana on Netflix. Number seven, we have Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on Netflix. Number eight, we have Just Go With It on Netflix. Number nine, we have Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings on Disney+. Plus. Number 10, we have Red Notice on Netflix. And how Nielsen calculates this or put you know ranks these movies in order is by the how many minutes are watched of this film uh, on the streaming service in the over the course of a week so um i'll only read the first one here so disney's encanto of the week of january 10th uh, got 1.4 billion minutes watched of the film interesting nothing really to talk about there because the uh, you know january 10th i you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was released re- released on Netflix, so a lot of people, you know, rushed to see that. But, um, yeah, no, not much to talk about there. Just wanted to bring it up, keep us relevant as we do. Um, so, yeah, let's get into a, a few small pieces of the news. Some sources are saying from various websites that the Oscars will be three hours, estimated three hours long, and will have... A different host every hour, and that was confirmed when the Oscars themselves announced uh, either today or yesterday that the hosts are going to be Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, and Wanda Sykes. Uh, Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes, I think, are interesting hosts. I think Amy Schumer is going to be a horrible host. I don't like her. I don't find her funny. I think the internet actually despises her. Um, I... Uh, that's just it. That's pretty much my whole opinion about her is I just don't like her. Don't find her funny. Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes, um, I think have good charisma. I think could be good hosts. But when I think about the hosts that the Oscars had in the past, I think of, they usually go along with like big, like late night hosts. Like, like I would think they would get someone like Seth Meyers to host, right? Or Jimmy Kimmel hosted the Oscars one year, you know, like, a-list stars. Um, not like I think all three of these women are going to do a fine job. I think Amy Schumer is going to do a pretty bad job. I don't think anyone really thinks she's funny. I don't think anyone finds her funny. Um, but Wanda Sykes is going to absolutely kill it. Regina Hall is going to do a good job as well. But um, if the Oscars wanted people to watch because of the hosts, which has necess- which has been the case in the past. No one is going to go out of their way to 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 watch this just for you know Amy Schumer. <laughs> so I don't think you know. That, I mean, that's just my opinion on that. Um, if anything, it kind of makes me less excited to 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 watch that middle section with Amy Schumer. I just don't want to. I just don't want to watch it. So, but I will. You know, I'll I'll watch it. It's the most important night in movies. So, moving on. Um, Judd Apatow is set to host the 2022 DGA Awards. I think it's. I think he hosted them last year too. Great pick. Um, he's well liked amongst the Directors Guild and and directors. He's well respected. He's a uh, also a writer and producer. Great, you know, great choice. He's got charisma. He's funny. Great choice. Um, moving away from <laughs> some. Uh, well, this was actually a late-breaking news story today. It was that Helena Hutchins' family has filed a wrongful death suit against multiple parties, including Alec Baldwin. A lot of you're going to see a lot of headlines about this, claiming that it's against Baldwin. 
it is that is factually true that Baldwin is named um, as a plaintiff, but there the wrongful death suit death suit is filed against Alec Baldwin, Rust Movie Productions LLC. El Dorado Pictures, Ryan Donald Smith, Langley Allen Chaney, Thomasville Pictures, Nathan Klinger, Ryan Winterstein, Short Porch Pictures, Angel Nigam, uh, Brittany House Pictures, Matthew Del Piano. I mean, and that's only half of them. It, it, the list goes on and on. So, um, so don't think that the the Hutchins family is solely blaming Baldwin. What what they're doing here, and what I think this is ultimately a smart move for them is to cover all their bases and say, listen, anyone that was involved with this had a responsibility that they did not fulfill, including, but definitely not limited to Alec Baldwin and, um, the, the woman, I can't remember. Oh yeah. Hannah Gutierrez Reed. She is also named in, in that as well. So in the, in the death suit as well, which is public. I mean, it is, it is public information. It's filed in the state of New Mexico. So you can go ahead and read it. I read a little bit of it. Um, I'm not, I, I don't have a in-depth, extensive knowledge of uh, law. So not the most interesting read, but certainly uh, relevant to the news. So I think that it's a smart move. Um, they they want to hold someone accountable and their lawyer is going to say, you know, a lawyer's job is to defend their client and to cover all their bases and, and you know, win the case at, at any means necessary because both parties are going to take any means necessary to win the case. So, you know, they file a wrongful death suit. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's, the, they really need to wait for the investigation to conclude, which hasn't yet. I think that's going to really shed a lot of light into what happened here after the, um, I think it's Santa Fe, after the Santa Fe police go about their business there, then we can really see some definitive inf information. But I just wanted to bring that up. It wasn't worth doing a full news story on, but, um, you know, I did, I did want to say that there. And Alec Baldwin even came out with his with his lawyer and his publicist like right away and said that it was uh like a false claim or something which obviously is something that him and his lawyer would want to do as well you know they want to the the lawyer's job is to defend the client so um it's just interesting to see where this is going to go and how everything lands probably within another year or so because these things take a while but um, in the meantime, there's really nothing more I can say other than I think it's a smart move for the family to do that. And I think that they, um, I think they feel it's, it's necessary intrinsically, you know, they, they feel like they want to do something about it and that that's really what they can do is file a wrongful death suit and, and name all of these potential conspirators. And uh, hopefully something sticks, something lands for them. Um, people that have been listening to this show for a while uh, will know that I kind of defended 
Alec Baldwin. I, I still would. I don't think that Alec Baldwin... It, I don't think that Alec Baldwin thinks he did anything wrong. That's why he did the interview with um, 2020 on ABC. That's why he's been working with the police. He doesn't think he did anything wrong. And that's um, kind of where that sense of confidence comes from. And that's why I feel confident in defending him. Um, it's kind of... I'm kind of jumping the gun a little bit on, you know, who's here, who's there. Ultimately, I still think it's Hannah Gutierrez Reed's fault. She was the armorer. If it falls on someone, it falls on her. Buck's got to stop with someone. I think it stops on her, to be honest. Um, she said before she was uh, not really professionally trained. She's the daughter of a well-known armorer. She has very little experience. Um, but... But who knows, you know, that is, you know, that's only one side of the story. I'm interested to see where the investigation goes. I am very interested to see the slew of documentaries that come out about this in a few years time. Truly, truly, I'm very interested because um, there's just so much hearsay right now and, uh, and the dust will settle and we will see where, see where everything falls. But just wanted to bring that up. There's not really... A, a ton for me to say other than my own opinion because there's very little facts in in the in the air up in the air right now so all right let's move on um netflix announced via twitter that they had partnered with take two interactive which is a video game publisher to make a bioshock movie uh, there's no other news about this but they it was just like a splash screen on twitter um saying that netflix and take two were going to partner that's pretty much it you know, no names attached, no release date, no writer, director, whatever. I just think that this could, is a really good opportunity to tell an interesting story. Video game movies are definitely hard. I think that a lot of publishers are looking at Uncharted and Sony right now, which is going to come out later this week. We'll talk about it. It comes out on Thursday at midnight, I think. And they're going to... And they're seeing... That there's a ton of money to be made here. because And that's all Uncharted is going to do is they're going to make a ton of money. It doesn't matter the quality. The reviews came out. It, it's pretty mediocre, it seems, for all, by all accounts. And, and so the quality doesn't matter. You know, it is the movie, does the movie star Tom Holland? Yes. It's going to make money, right? So that's what I think a lot of publishers are thinking right now, video game publishers are thinking that, you know, maybe there's money to be made here. But, um, you know, they partnered with Netflix, so it would go straight to Netflix, uh, you know, assumingly. But they, you know, Netflix has been known to do one-off deals. Like the Irishman was a very well-known one-off deal where they had like a month in select theaters. The Irishman did before it went to streaming. Uh, that was you know, written out in the deal beforehand. Martin Scorsese wanted that. So Netflix is known to make deals like this. If the writing is on the wall, and I think it is, is that Netflix is going to put that movie, the Bioshock movie, in theaters because they know they can make money on it. There's a ton of people in the video game industry, in the video game media industry, video game journalism that would jump over themselves to see this movie two weeks beforehand. That's how the video game industry works. It's, 
It is like, and movies do this too, but it's as soon as the game comes out, everyone in the media, in the video games media, needs to talk about it. We got to talk about it right now. So if they, if Netflix does a wide release of the Bioshock movie a month before it goes on, on Netflix, they'll make a shit ton of money. It's, you know, because, yeah, that's, that's just how it's going to go. That's just how it's going to go. <laughs> um, and then if it, you know, if it gets, even if it reviews poorly, everyone then, the people who are interested in it, if there's, you know, someone attached to the movie that they like, uh, a star is the number one person to sell a movie. So say there's like a big action star, you know, Bioshock starring Willem Dafoe or whatever is on Netflix, people are going to watch it. And that's ultimately what Netflix wants is what is people to stick around on the streaming service. So that's kind of what this announcement was for. It's like, hey, video game fans, we got a movie for you in, you know, potentially three to five years. So, yep, so that's it. Could be interesting. Uh, but I think, to be honest, the most interesting part of about that game, about the Bioshock, the first game, from 2008 was that it utilized video games in, in such an interesting way that, you know, the story was, the story told, I, I'll often talk about on this show that if you can use, in a, in a movie, if you can use the medium in a way that is impossible in other medium medias, such as this story is told the best way possible in a movie, and it couldn't be told this way in a book because it's visual. You can't tell the same sort of visual story in a book or in a video game. Bioshock does that with its own story, but the medium is video games. That story is the best possible way to tell it, and it's through a game. And I'm only talking about the first game. Other than after the first game, the story gets a little bigger. And I think that that story, which ultimately comes down to like, what is a multiverse and what, you know, portals to other dimensions and, and all that, that could be told in the movie. You know, there's nothing, there's nothing particularly special about that. But the first game had a very special story that could only be told in a video game. And, um, and, it, and the game was great for it, but I'd be, I would still be interesting to see what a movie in Rapture looks like. That was the splash screen with, that they used was like a picture of a big daddy in Rapture. If you don't know video games, I'm sorry, but that's what, that's, uh, that's what happened there. Um, so yeah, that's it. That's all the small stories I wanted to talk about. Before we get into the big stories, I want to talk about what I watched this week. I went to the theater and I watched Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza. And what did I think about it? I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great. I absolutely loved it. It, it like really triggered some, um, oh God, I hate the word trigger. Sorry. I, it really, it, it really, uh, brought to light a lot of emotions that I hadn't felt in a movie in a while. And it felt a lot like it, I felt watching the movie, like I was watching a Richard Linklater movie. And those are my favorite favorite watching Daisy Confused watching Before Sunrise watching Boyhood I I felt like I was watching one of those movies it, it just filled me with with nostalgia it filled me with you know 
happiness and 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 love for these characters that I just met on screen. The the and it's and that can only be done with a perfect perfect marriage of of incredible character building from the from the screenplay and and the even better performances by the actors to round out these characters into full-fledged humans with with flaws and real emotions and you know conflicting interests it's just it's character building at the highest quality I've seen in a while. It's probably this year, to be honest. It's it's great. It the movie is so high quality in terms of its characters, dialogue, and actors. And that's kind of what the movie is. You know, there's no the other than that. You know, I thought that even the the direction was great too. the 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 choice of music was great. It was. It was just so everything tied together so well. I I I I knew I was going to like it. I didn't think I was going to love it so much. So many scenes in the movie. And I didn't think it was too long either. It was probably 2 hours, 10 minutes, 2 hours, 15 minutes, good length for a movie like this because there's not like a huge set piece, but it, you know, it's it is mostly dialogue. Not mostly dialogue. It's a story. It's it's the story, but it's it's a drama. It's you know, it, there's not you know set pieces to keep you entertained while you turn your brain off. It is character building the whole way through. It it's so interesting. You get tied to the characters so quickly. It's it's awesome. It's so good. And the two I want to talk about the two main actor, two lead actors, Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. Alana Haim is electric in the in her performance. She is so so good. I don't think she got an Oscar nomination for this. I think she did get a SAG award nomination or a BAFTA or something. So she's getting awards, which is or award nominations, which is pretty much all I could have hoped for. You know, watching this movie, that in the back of my head, I was like, this is incredible. She is incredible, and that Paul Thomas Anderson can just pick. This, I mean, I was reading about it a little bit, that that they have, um, like, a family history together, that he, uh, she's part of a music group with her family, and, and PTA kind of, um, you know, di- directed some of their music videos, so they know each other for years, but he, like, dated her mom, like, way back when, you know, whatever, there's, like, family history there, so they know each other, but he can, Paul Thomas Sanders, any director, really, could pick out an, any actress any actor, I should say, any actor from Hollywood, here, there, whatever, that has a few credits to their name and could probably give an absolutely killer performance. There's just so much talent in Hollywood. There is really so much talent, but it's kind of hard to find because of the way the industry works. It's so heavily based on looks, right? Alana Haim isn't, you know, this traditionally gorgeous, you know, model she is a very real looking person. She looks like someone she looks like someone I grew up with, but it's partially because she's Jewish. You know, she she looks like someone that someone that I went to high school with. She, you know, not like a like a model that goes to a actor's school, even though she, you know, she probably did. Um she's in the music group Haim, so but she, it's such a 
it's just a, such a surprising performance that came out of a pretty unknown actor. An incredible performance. So believable, so unique, so so detailed, so so I hate the word nuanced, but it was. It was so every everything that she was doing, she brought every single thing that she had as, as an actor from her back pocket to the screen to give this incredible performance that rounded out this character that was already really interesting on the page. Cooper Hoffman does an equally good job. I have one issue with with his performance. I mean, Cooper Hoffman, I sh- you know, should say this is his per- first acting performance ever. He has no credits on IMDb. This is his first performance as an actor. So anything that he is doing is like you know, wow. Like imagine like I'm an act I'm an actor, right? I have been for years. And I'm thinking like my first performance as an actor. I was younger than Cooper Hoffman, right? But I was in a show, my first my first show. I mean, my first show was an original show. I don't really want to talk about it, but my performance was horrible. I have videos of it. My parents took videos of it. It's horrible. I had a, fr- a longtime friend that was also in that show. That's how we met, was on this original show in South Jersey. And we would constantly make fun of each other because of how bad our performances were and how I tried to sing and it was horrible. And I was 12 years old, maybe 10, 11 years old. Cooper Hoffman is, I'll look up his age right now. I think he's, if I had to guess, probably like 18. Cooper Hoffman. Um, He's 18. Yeah, he's 18 years old. And he just gives such a real performance. It's so, it's he, he must be wise beyond his years, right? And he must have grown up watching his dad, who's Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late, wonderful actor, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Because his acting is so good, so surprisingly good, because he has no credits to his name. But the one thing I did want to say is that it takes some getting used to, to... To, to listen to him because his diction, his pronunciation of words is a little not what you expect to hear from a professional actor, right? There's a lot of things that you learn as an actor um, that are just, that, that you kind of take for granted as an audience member. You take for granted that you're going to understand the words that an actor is saying. You take for granted that um, that an actor, you know, this is not relevant to Cooper Hoffman, but that you take for granted that an actor knows how to read. They knows how they know how to raise their eyebrows. They know how to elicit some sort of emotion. They know how to stand and follow camera crew or follow camera direction, hit their mark. Not fall off the stage. Fall off the stage. Excuse me. And we take them for granted because we see so many performances that are good. They're, they're all good. It's good here. It's good there. It's good on Netflix and on Hulu, and it's good at you know wherever. And then you go see like your local high school's production of Oliver, and you're like, God, this is fucking horrible. But it's not, right? It's not because these kids have, are acting for the first time in their life, probably. I mean, Oliver, poor kids. But so Cooper Hoffman here, since this is rel- you know pretty much his first performance, I'm sure PTA did some sort of extensive acting camp with him, acting training camp or something. But the thing that is kind of lost here is that 
he when he speaks his lines, his words get a little slurred because he's not pronouncing it crisp enough for the microphone to pick up. So, and it's especially in the beginning because you're not used to hearing that from a movie is that the the words just kind of flow and wash together a little bit. Um, and I can't really give an example. It's just like him not, you know, emphasizing things, pr- pronouncing things with, I don't know, crisp diction. You And um, some things are just a little lost in that regard. And that that is really, to be honest, my only major criticism of the entire movie. It was so, it's so good. Truly so good. Um, I walked out of the theater. I loved it. I gushed about it. And um, it, I'm not, I watched it on Thursday, I think. I'm recording this on the following Tuesday. I want to go see it again. It, it is so, so good. Um, and another, another criticism I had, this isn't necessarily about the movie, but about the marketing around the movie, is that you, I, you, you know, I'll say you see the trailer, but, you know, I watched the trip. Excuse me. I watched the trailer and it show, you see, um, what's his name? The guy, not Bradley Cooper, but uh, you know, you see Bradley Cooper's in the movie and Benny Safdie is credited as being in the movie. He's, I mean, he's in the movie. He's credited, you know, he's in the movie. And, um, what's his name? Is it Martin? It's not Martin Sheen. It's freaking freaking the, the guy. I, I got to look it up because it's uh, bothering me. But you see, you know, you see these people, um, Sean Penn, yeah, Sean Penn, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, the three people in the movie, the three big names in the movie, right? They are total in the movie, total in the movie for maybe 20 minutes. Not each, total in the movie for maybe 20 minutes. And I think that was just a, a marketing fail. Um, the trailer shouldn't have shown as much of them. It would have been so cool if you didn't even know Bradley Cooper was in the movie and you just watch and you're like, shit, is that fucking Bradley Cooper? And he's giving a such a cool performance, such a such a great performance. He's only on screen for Bradley Cooper himself is probably only on screen for five minutes, maybe six minutes, maybe like, but it's just so it's so cool and surprising to see him. Um, But I. You know, in the back of my head, I was kind of thinking, you know, where are these guys? Are they going to show up, you know? And then as soon as they show up, because it had been like an hour and a half into the movie, I'm like, all right, let's get these guys off the screen. You know, I know at this point, hour and a half into the movie, I know it's not about Bradley Cooper, right? I know it's not an ensemble piece. I know it's pretty much just about Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman. So let's get these guys off the screen. Um, And that... That is another criticism I have. But that's less about the movie and more about the marketing. Although I'm sure Paul Thomas Anderson has some sort of control over how the movie gets marketed. Some sort of control. So that's it. That's what I thought about the movie. What did I see last week? I saw, okay, so last week I talked about the Mitchells versus the Machines. And I was saying that that movie was definitely the best movie I'd seen. It was probably my favorite movie of the year. I, it would be tough for me to rank Licorice Pizza and the Mitchells versus the Machines. I thought they were... I like them for different reasons. Licorice Pizza gives me a nostalgic feeling and is very close to me emotionally, personally. Really connected with me. 
Um, but it's also a, a technically incredible movie. And I think that the Mitchells versus the Machines is technically a good movie. A, a, technically a... Uh, no, actually the opposite. Technically a great movie. The screenplay is incredible. But um, it resonated with me a little less. You see what I'm saying here? Mitchells versus the Machines, good technical, less emotional. Licorice Pizza, good emotional, less technical. Um, hopefully that made sense to someone. If it didn't, don't worry about it. The, I mean, these two movies are pretty much tied for best movie of the year for me. I Mitchells versus the Machines and Licorice Pizza are so good. They're so they're both so good and and um ultimately at the end of the day, does it really matter who won the Oscar as long as you saw a movie and you connected with it? That's what I that's what I'm saying about movies and and what they mean to that's why they you know they mean that's why I started this podcast is that movies are the best the the best medium. I don't care what the future of media is. I don't care if you like reading books. Go fuck a book. Who cares? The reason that movies are so special is because if you can sit down, sit your ass down in a chair, put your phone away, watch a movie for two hours, and at the end of it, feel something, connect with something. In two hours, two hours of your life, you feel an emotion. It could change your life two hours. And you walk out of the theater, you know, you turn off your Netflix or whatever. And you're like, wow, that affected me. I felt an emotion. That is a success. And there's no better success for me this past year than the Mitchells versus the Machines or Licorice Pizza. With that being said, let's get to the news. Number one, Oscar-winning writer-director Jordan Peele has returned, this time with a trailer for his upcoming horror thriller titled NOPE, stylized in all capitals. The trailer, released to Universal Pictures' official YouTube channel a few hours before the Super Bowl, gives a brief view of what viewers can expect from this next sure-to-be high-quality release. Nope sees the return of Daniel Kaluuya, who starred in Get Out, another Jordan Peele film, which was universally acclaimed. The new film also stars Kiki Palmer and Steven, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yuen, Michael Wincott, and uh, Brandon Perea. Jordan Peele was known for years as one of as one half of the writer, director, producers, actors on Comedy Central's Key and Peele. Peele, uh, yeah, Peele then went on to write and direct Get Out in 2017, earning him the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. After that, Peele wrote and directed another horror film released in 2019, Us, starring Lupita Nyong'o, which again was universally acclaimed. Nope has its work cut out for it as a semi-follow-up to, to two of the best horror films in recent memory. This highly anticipated movie will be released in theaters this summer, July 22nd, 2022. I saw the trailer pop up for this on my YouTube feed and I was like, no fucking way, Jordan Peele has got another trailer. He just it is putting these movies out. He's just rocking them and he's, I'm so excited. I haven't seen the trailer yet. I am so excited to watch the trailer. I saw us in theaters, loved it. It took me a while to see Get Out. I was in high school at the time. It just um, took me a while to get around to seeing it. I saw it and loved it immediately. So I went to see us in theaters. I, I, oh, I'm so excited. I, so let me watch it. I'll be right back and I'll give you my thoughts. 
I love the movie industry, man. I love it. I love it. This trailer looks great. Um, I'm sure anyone that's listening to this podcast has seen it. If you haven't, definitely go watch it. It's 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 great. Um, it reveals almost nothing about the plot, um, except for you know the you know the first act kind of you know where where the characters are at the beginning. I. I'm so, it's so cool. It's so interesting, so unique, and I, you know it's just going to be quality coming from Jordan Peele. He is a top-notch, top-tier screenwriter and director, and he puts high-quality actors in the, in the movie. It's just all around going to be a great production. I am so excited for it. It's all I can say, and I love how... Oh man, I, another one of my hobbies is playing video games. That's why I'll occasionally throw in some video game news in here is that I love how a movie trailer will come out. Boom, here's the here's the movie, here's the trailer. And the release date is, you know, five months out. I love that. Video games are like, oh man, we'll hear rumors about this game and then we'll announce the game and then we you'll, you won't be able to play it for two years, minimum. It's like, come on, like... I love I love the movie industry, man. I love it. There's nothing I love more. Can't cannot. It's part of my French. I can't fucking wait to see that movie. It looks so good. All right, let's move on. Number two, Netflix released a new trailer for their anticipated high budget film starring Ryan Reynolds, The Adam Project, this week via their official YouTube channel. The video sim- the video description simply claims the movie is about quote. After accidentally crash-landing in 2022, the time-traveler fighter pilot Adam Reed teams up with his 12-year-old self on a mission to save the future, end quote. Other than Reynolds, the film stars Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner, Walt, uh, Walker Scobell, Catherine Keener, and Zoe Saldana. The film is directed by, by Sean Levy, known recently for Stranger Things fame. Le- Levy has been has a long history of directing heartfelt movies such as the Night at the Museum trilogy, 2006's The Pink Panther, and 2011's Real Steel, to name a few. Also, he directed uh, Date Night, starring uh, Steve Carell and Tina Fey. I love that movie. The film was written by Jonathan Tropper, T.S. Nolan, Jennifer Flack, and Mark Levin, who all have respective careers writing for the Netflix show Big Mouth or larger-scale action movies such as 2008's Journey to the Center of the Earth. Nolan specifically has credits on the Maze Runner trilogy and Pacific Rim Uprising. The Atom Project will see the light of day on Netflix on March 11th, 2022. So very soon. Even sooner. It's like next month. That's like in three weeks. Um... Freaking crazy, man! That's why I love the movies, man. It's so there's you just finish the movie and you're like, here it's done. Okay, but yeah, this is another one I haven't seen the trailer for. Um, I saw it on Twitter. I was pretty excited, so I thought I'd just save my initial reactions and, um, you know, hopefully it's good. I've been a little hard on Ryan Reynolds recently. I don't care for Free Guy. I'm not gonna watch it, and I think the script is unoriginal. And um, the uh, what was it called? Red Notice. Yeah, Red Notice. You know, he was good, but he was just a little too Ryan Reynolds-y for me, so. So, yeah, that's it. And I, yeah, yeah. So, let me watch the trailer and I'll be right back. Yeah, that looks pretty cool. Looks pretty good. Um, I, I actually don't have that much to say about it other than um, it seems like it's going to be more of an action movie and less of a heartfelt, you know, father-son movie just based on the trailer alone um but you know the trailer's two minutes the movie is two hours potentially so 
Um, the, the trailer's job is to set the tone for the movie and, you know, market the movie to get viewers prepared to what it, what it's going to be. But no doubt people are going to watch this movie. It has Ryan Reynolds in it and it's on Netflix. You know, tons of people have it. So it's one of those movies that um, Netflix is just putting out content just to say, you know, here's a reason why you shouldn't cancel your subscription is because we have this new, hey, looky here, we have a new movie for you. You know, it's coming soon. Ryan Reynolds, hey, Sean Levy, you know Stranger Things, right? You like that? You like Free Guy? Hey. Yeah, and um, and to be honest, I think it's going to be kind of mediocre. Um, you know, just pretty mindless action movie. But again, two, two, two minutes compared to two hours of a movie. So, um uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much all I can say about it. Um, I'll watch it when it comes out. It's on Netflix. You know, why not? So number three, we previously saw an extended trailer for Jurassic World Dominion a few months ago, and now we have a shorter trailer that gives much more in-depth look at the plot and characters of the upcoming film. The trailer released via Universal Pictures' official YouTube channel has the description, has oh, has this description, quote, from Jurassic World architect and director Colin Trevorrow, Dominion takes place four years after Isla Nublar has been destroyed. Dinosaurs now live and hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most, most fearsome creatures, end quote. The film is directed by Colin Trevorrow, known for 2012 Safety Not Guaranteed and 2015's Jurassic World. Trevorrow did not direct the second Jurassic World film, Fallen Kingdom, which was directed by J.A. Bayona, but he did return as writer and executive producer. For this new film, Trevorrow returns again as writer and Emily Carmichael of Pacific Rim Uprising co-writing. Interesting that we're mentioning that movie twice in one show. This film will again star Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard in presumably lead roles, but we'll see the return of Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern's characters from the original Jurassic Park trilogy. These characters have not been in the same film since the original 1993 film. Jurassic World Dominion releases in theaters on June 10th, 2022. Again, this is another one I haven't really seen the trailers for, but this was all over the Super Bowl, so I did see a few commercials, although, you know, the volume was low. I wasn't really paying attention. I was doing more of a social thing than a let me watch this Jurassic World Dominion trailer thing. So let me do this thing and watch the Jurassic World Dominion trailer thing right now. So I will say for this that I'm of two minds. I love Jurassic Park. I love the first movie. Dearly, dearly do love it. Very nostalgic. Um, But that's kind of it. <laughs> I don't definitely don't like the sequel Lost World. And I think I kind of remember liking Jurassic Park 3, to, to be honest. Kind, I think I remember liking it a little bit, but um, I don't like that this is the this is the case for every big property now. It's just like, let's reunite everyone. You know, let's bring everyone back. You remember these guys, right? Please come and, and spend money on watching this movie, please. You know... And nostalgia is definitely a powerful thing, and I think companies now realize that uh, you can pretty much make anything as long as it has some sort of nostalgia factor. As long as it says Disney on it, people are going to go and watch it because people are so loyal to their companies and their corporations. Um, 
uh, which isn't the case here. This is universal, <laughs> interestingly enough, but it is a property nonetheless, Jurassic Park. Um, and Jurassic Park to me always kind of felt like um, the stepchild or the, the, you know, the black sheep of the, of the big franchises, you know, uh, Star Wars and Marvel and, and, uh, what's another eighties thing like ET and, you know, these big, um, tentpole franchise, the matrix, Lord of the Rings, Jurassic Park always seemed like uh, the black sheep of that. And that kind of attracted me to it more. I, like that it was just one good movie in the 90s. And it was great. Um, I don't really remember watching Jurassic World. I definitely did not see the Jurassic World sequel, whatever it was called. I have it written here. Uh, Fallen Kingdom. Definitely did not see that. I, I will go see, maybe not in theaters, but I will put the time in, you know, eventually to see Dominion. Um... I like that the three main characters are coming back. I do. It it is preying on my nostalgia, but I I I like it. Jurassic Park was one of the first movies I remember seeing. It was one of the first conscious decisions that I made to purchase the VHS and watch it on my own. And I remember because it was rated PG-13 and I wasn't allowed to watch PG-13 movies at the time. I was like going behind my parents' back and watching Jurassic Park on VHS. And uh, I wish I still had that original tape. It was it was awesome. On the, it was a black cover and on the front it said, you know, 65 million years in the making. A movie, 65 million years in the making. I thought it was a great tagline. And it's a great movie and I'm happy that it's one of the movies as a kid that, um, you know, you watch later and it's still... St- stands up that everything stands up the writing the acting the well maybe not all the acting the kids aren't lovely but you know the concept is really interesting it comes from the you know based on the michael crichton novel so um i'm i have i do have a lot of nostalgia here but i know that only one of these movies was good so i feel like It feels kind of like a sham to go and watch the sixth movie in the trilogy or in this, you know, the sixth movie when I don't like any of them other than the first one. But, you know, a lot of franchises do that. Halloween, Friday the 13th, a lot of horror franchises, I guess. Uh, What was the one that just came out? Scream just did that. You know, it's probably the sixth movie or the seventh movie or whatever. Oh, no, Scream 4 and then Scream 5. And this was the sixth. I think this was the sixth one. But it doesn't matter. Um, you can tell what I'm a fan of and what I'm not a fan of. But I'm just of two minds, and that's pretty much all I can say. I hope the reviews are good. If the reviews are great, if the reviews are like top notch, top tier, I'll go see it, no doubt. But um, if they're even middling, even mediocre, I'm not. You know, I it it would make me upset, and I don't want to. I want to do that. I like having. I like having the first movie held in a high regard, and I like that we still have that. I have it on Blu-ray. I watch it every now and again. It's awesome. It's so nostalgic. Oh, sadness, because I don't like when corporations play on my nostalgia to go make me spend money. I did it with Spider-Man: No Way Home, and I'm kind of mad about it. Number four. Another new trailer has been released from the Super Bowl. This one is Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. 
This, the trailer was then sub subsequently uploaded to Marvel Entertainment's official YouTube channel. The description reads, quote, In Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the MCU unlocks the multiverse and pushes its boundaries further than ever before. Journey into the unknown with Doctor Strange, who, with the help of mystical allies, both old and new, traverse the mind-bending and dangerous alternate realities of the metaverse to confront a mysterious new adversary, end quote. The follow-up to record-breaking Spider-Man No Way Home will be directed by Sam Raimi, the writer-director known for pioneering the Evil Dead franchise and the Tobey Maguire starring Spider-Man films of the early 2000s. The film is written by Michael Waldron, Emmy-winning writer-producer of Rick and Morty and Marvel's Loki. The Multiverse of Madness will be released in theaters on May 6th, 2021. I'm not going to watch this trailer because I don't care about Marvel. I'm done with you, Marvel. I watched all of the movies leading up to Endgame, and I thought the Endgame is a perfect end to that to that series. But no, they want more of your money. They want you to spend all of your time on Disney Plus. They want you to watch every TV show. They want your whole life to be dedicated to their series over and over. And I am done with it. I'm done. And I think there was already like a confirmation somewhere, like on I think I saw it on like Reddit or something that. That Tobey Maguire is going to be in it. So Tobey Maguire is now back, you know, for good in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm done. I'm done with you, Marvel. I'm done with you. I'm done with you. Done with you. All right. Here's the wrap up. Hollywood Reporter reports that Dane DeHaan and Sophie Turner will star an upcoming crime thriller War Diver. War Driver, excuse me. The Hollywood Reporter reports that Simu Liu joins Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, and America Ferrera in upcoming film Barbie from the writer-director Greta Gerwig and co-writer Noah Baumbach. That sounds awesome. Multiple sources are reporting that Kinsley, Kingsley Ben-Adir will star as Bob Marley in biopic for Paramount and King Richard director Ronaldo Marcus Green. MGM announced that they picked up Challengers, a 2021 blacklist screenplay that will star Zendaya, Josh O'Connor, and Mike Faced with Luca Guadagnino directing. Uh, this is from the Berlin Film Market. Tom Hanks starring comedy A Man Called Otto lands it with Sony. Focus Features announced that B.J. Novak's directorial debut Vengeance will have its theatrical run start on July 29th, 2022. Multiple sources are reporting that Kate Blanchett will will star in an Australian drama The New Boy. Multiple sources are reporting that Charlie Hun uh, Hunnam, uh, Jimin... Hunso, Bay Duna, and Ray Fisher joined the cast of Zack Snyder-directed Rebel Moon. Michael Mann announced that Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, and Shailene Woodley will join the cast of his upcoming film, Ferrari. The Hollywood Reporter reports that Russell Crowe joins Taylor, Aaron Taylor-Johnson in Sony Marvel's Craven the Hunter. Deadline reports that Cuba Gooding Jr. and Terrence Howard will star in horror pick Skeletons in the Closet. Deadline reports that Academy Award nominee Drive My Car will be released on HBO Max on March 2nd, 2022. Deadline reports that Tom Welling will star in action thriller Deep Six from Scott Windhauser. Deadline reports that Ken Watanabe replaces Benedict Wong in upcoming film True Love. Deadline reports that George Clooney's adaptation of Boys in the Boat will have Joel Edgerton, Jack Mulhern, Sam Strike, and others in lead roles. Deadline reports that Netflix has acquired the rights to Sean Levy-directed father-daughter film Backwards. Deadline reports that Adrian Brody will join Chris Evans in Apple's Ghosted from Dexter Fletcher. Deadline reports that Naomi Watts will star an adaptation of a novel of the same name, The Friend. 
Warner Brothers announced the Lord of the Rings anime movie titled The Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim will debut in theaters on April 12, 2024. The Hollywood Reporter reports that John Leguizamo, Beverly D'Angelo, Alex Hassel, and uh, Alexis uh, Louder will join David Harbour in upcoming Christmas action movie Violent Night. Deadline reports that Marry Me director Kate Coiro will adapt The Husband's Secret into a new film for Sony. Multiple sources are reporting that Jack Quaid will join Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Viacom CBS announced it would rebrand to Paramount starting February 16th. Viacom CBS is, of course, the parent company to Paramount, so just changing the parent company name. Kind of weird. Also kind of weird that they're doing it so quickly. Just a quick aside that Viacom CBS has undergone so many name changes in the past five years, 10 years. You go read about it. Deadline reports that four original Christmas Story cast members are also returning for the HBO Max sequel. Deadline reports Ray Liotta is joining Demi Moore in uh, Coralie... Fargier's The Substance. Down Abbey, A New Era got another new trailer this week. Deadline reports Ryan Quantin and J.K. Simmons are set to star in horror film Glorious. And that is all the news. Now, before I send you all on your way, let's look at what's coming to theaters this weekend. Uncharted comes to theater this theaters this weekend. Street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the House of uh, Moncada. Directed by Ruben Fleischer, starring Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, Antonio Banderas, and Sophia Ali. Dog comes to trailer, excuse me, comes to theaters this week. Two former army rangers are paired against their will on the road trip of a lifetime. Briggs, played by Channing Tatum, and Lulu, a Belgian Malinois. Malinois. Uh, It's a dog breed, I guess. Uh, Briggs and Lulu race down the Pacific coast to a fellow soldier's funeral on time. Directed by Reed Carolyn and Channing Tatum. Uh, starring Channing Tatum and a few other names I can't pronounce. So sorry, I don't want to butcher them. The Outfit comes to theaters this week. An expert tailor must outwit a dangerous group of mobsters in order to survive a fateful night. Directed by Graham Moore, starring Mark Rylance, Zoe Dutch, Dylan O'Brien, and Johnny Flynn. I watched the trailer for that on the show a few weeks ago. It was looked interesting for sure. The Cursed. In rural 19th century France, a mysterious, possibly supernatural menace threatens a small village. John McBride, a pathologist, comes to town to investigate the danger and exercise some of his own demons in the process. There's That's a uh, grammar typo. Directed by Sean Ellis, starring Boyd Holbrook, Kelly Riley, Alistair uh, Pet- Petrie, and Roxanne Duran. Roxanne? The Ghosts of Borley Rectory comes to... Theaters this week, Harry Price investigates the ghost of Borley Rectory during his stay there, directed by Stephen M. Smith, starring Toby Wynn Davis, Julianne Sands, Colin Baker, and Christopher Ellison. And that is what gets captured on film. My name is Dylan Paulson. I hope you have a wonderful week. Um, Stay tuned next week for either uh, The Tragedy of Macbeth on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm going to watch that. Or Last Night in Soho. I just picked up the Blu-ray, but I don't want to watch it before, um, you know, I want to watch it and give it its give it its due time for me to watch. I want to pay absolute attention to it cause, since I couldn't see it in theaters. So, um, hopefully I'll get around to that this weekend. I think I should. Um, so look out for that next weekend. 
But that's what's what gets captured on film. My name is Dylan Paulson. Please write into the show, what gets captured at gmail.com. The show comes out Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and YouTube at noon. Stay safe out there, people.